What's up, everybody? Hello and welcome to episode number 185 of the VK Bros with Jason and Alex Von Cannell on an unforecasted, extremely rainy day. How you going, dude? Yeah, the bottom of my shed was like starting to flood. So my shed was built after the 1970s floods. Right. So they lost they lost their place at West End of Brisbane. Yep. So they bought this and elevated it uh, high above the ground to be flood protected. And and during the last floods, it was it had like three meters left to go before it actually touched it. But yeah, okay. downstairs area where they've built it up from and put it on stilts is currently underwater. Interesting. So you're saying that the uh, the peak water level from the floods 50 years ago hasn't changed that much. Same, same. <laughs> um, I had an interesting message. Um, I'll, I'll introduce what we're going to talk about in the show in a second, but just briefly, an interesting message from a listener this morning who was just driving back from the gym and it was absolutely pouring down rain and they couldn't help but laugh because of how much we've been talking recently about how often the Bureau of Meteorology gets it wrong. And the forecast for today was like uh, cloudy with a chance of a shower. And she was like, it's been torrential rain since 2am and they still hadn't changed it. So uh, she is convinced that it is all part of the uh, climate change psyop. Because we both remember a time when things were far more accurate than they are now. Has anyone at the bomb like maybe done an update on their computer? Like, do you think they just need to turn it off and turn it back on again to that, get the... Maybe, that it. maybe that's it. Maybe they've got the new model there ready to go and they don't even realise that they're using an old version because it hasn't updated because they're just having to restart the computer. Well, I know they don't use HTTPS protocols on their website, which that is, is like true. the most unsecured version. So it's not, yeah, it's not surprising. Yeah. <laughs> all, right, all right, guys, there's a couple of things we're going to go through today. Um, the first thing that I want, want to share with you is a story out of Canada. It's going to be very, very short. It's just very interesting. It is COVID-related. The second story uh, that we're going to go to is a bit of a rabbit hole that I went down. Um, so there's a, a new bit of information that's come out of France, which reminded me of a particular clip from many years ago. And then from that clip, I went on a bit of a rabbit hole afterwards, and I just want to paint a little bit of a picture for you. And then finally, today's show, we actually are going to get to our first edition of Crypto Corner, which will be driven primarily by Alex. Uh, as we suggested earlier uh, in earlier podcasts, we are looking at getting ready for the 2025 crypto bull run. So I just wanted to start here. Um, in the Democratic People's Republic of Canada, a story came out on the 14th of February from Mike Campbell, which is... Sorry, can I just interject? So you made that joke, right? Yep. About Canada. And Pete, like, I, most, I don't think most people know how bad it is, but a friend of mine just went over there and elements of his Facebook feed were censored and it said, you cannot show those things here in this country. Yeah. It's but, wild. But do you remember what it was that was censored? I know. I think I drilled down a little bit further. It wasn't what we originally thought it was. It wasn't the verbiage that he used. It was the fact that it was a news article. Right, okay, fair enough. That was video. Yeah, because obviously the news is banned from uh, social media in Canada, which yeah. is, is the most democratic thing you can do, is just not have any news sharing on social media. That's super democratic. All the best regimes have censorship rules about, like, and the state runs the news in all the best regimes. That's right, yeah, absolutely. In all of history, the most closed down and restrictive regimes are always the best regimes. Always bet on red. 
So this story, uh, Trudeau, Freeland, sued by Freedom Convoy protesters following federal court ruling. Can you zoom in slightly for me, please, Alex? There we go. A number of Freedom Convoy protesters who had their bank accounts frozen by the Trudeau government's Invocation of Emergencies Act have sued the Prime Minister and Finance Minister, Christian Freeland. The development comes just weeks after a federal court judge ruled that Trudeau's decision to invoke the Emergencies Act, which gave the government unprecedented power, was a violation of the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. Two lawsuits were announced on Wednesday, the first of which was announced by lawyer Keith Wilson. And it says in quotes, breaking, on the second uh, two-year anniversary of the federal government illegally invoking war measures against its citizens and targeting key protesters in Ottawa by freezing their bank accounts, Today, Tamara Litch, Chris Barber, uh, Tom Marazzo, Danny Bulford and other protesters who were targeted by the Justin Trudeau and Christopher Freeland have filed lawsuits against the federal government, he stated on X. Section 24 of our Charter of Rights and Freedoms gives Canadians the right to sue their government for damages when charter rights are violated. Wilson further stated that the lawsuit seeks $2 million in damages for each plaintiff. Hours later on Wednesday... It should be $2 million in Bitcoin so that they can actually use the fucking thing. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, on Valentine's Day, the two-year anniversary that Trudeau invoked the Emergencies Act, a second class action lawsuit consisting of 20 plaintiffs was announced, this time by Loberg Ector LLP, a law firm based out of Calgary, Alberta. Loberg Ector's Facebook account stated that the plaintiffs in this action seek compensation and related relief arising from the unjustified and unconstitutional actions of the Liberal government, as well as the actions of certain police agencies and Canadian financial institutions who followed the unlawful orders of the Liberal government and other defendants who participated in or promoted these actions. So, no need to read too much further into that i mainly wanted to bring this to you because this is another sign of the things that we spoke about during the pandemic starting to move in the direction that we stated the fact of the matter is this during the pandemic western governments all around the world created all these emergency powers or well, not even created the the emergencies act was actually written by trudeau's dad pierre trudeau when he was in power back in the was it late 70s or early 80s i believe it was i think you said fidel castro wrong <laughs> yeah through that um and uh justin trudeau is actually the first person first uh chief minister in history who's ever actually invoked the emergencies act um but this is going to show you guys we all had rights this entire time and as much as they wanted to create emergencies to pretend those rights didn't exist they still existed and now we are starting to see the legal ramifications of these actions so i think it's an extremely positive development and we will follow that story very closely for you as well. Next, speaking of co the COVID pandemic, a new law has come out of France recently. Now, I originally saw this reported by our good friend Rebecca Barnett from Dystopian Down Under. And we've actually had to go to a French news source and get this uh, translated to bring this to you. So in France, this is from the 15th of February, uh, mRNA criticism punishable in the future. A new criminal offence can in future put people in prison in France who are asked to refrain from appropriate medical treatment, according to science. The law was boxed by the National Assembly on Wednesday. Critics call the law Article Pfizer. <laughs> A law was passed in France on Wednesday without much attention, which can punish resistance to mRNA treatment. Who advises against um, uh, mRNA or other medical treatments, but who? Obviously, we're, we're dealing with a translator here. 
um, R4 treatment can in future go to prison in France for up to three years or collect a fine of up to 45,000 euros. Um, I, again, I'm not going to go through and read it all. The main thing is exactly as stated. It is, it is making it legal in France to put you in prison for up to three years or fine you up to $45,000 if you refuse or, um, or speak against a government... Uh, approved and not mandated essentially but uh, a medicine that the government is trying to force on you which they deem suitable they have now made that an offense punishable by imprisonment yeah and there's also a, a thing in the article that i'd read about it talking about like social media posts mm-hmm. questioning it and and yeah that they're, they're going to outlaw that kind of stuff that's going to fall in as part of this legislation as well yeah that's wild and the french I don't think the French are going to cop that. I don't think so either. They've been they've already been protesting quite heavily in regards to things like the crackdowns on farmers. Um, they've been protesting a lot due to the amount of immigration that they've been experiencing mm. in the last two decades as well. So I agree with you. I don't think the French are just going to take this lying down. But uh, as we mentioned on the show a few weeks ago, this year is one of the largest not not largest, but one of the biggest years in history when it comes to democratic elections all around the world. And I think that a lot of these regimes that have been in cahoots with Big Pharma doing this profiteering relationship uh, for the last however many years, I think they're just trying to get their ducks in the row because they know num- that their time in the top seat is numbered. So that's well, not really ducks in a row. They're just trying to punch as much stuff through that they can exactly have the laws in place so that their pharmaceutical masters can just you know take care of them afterwards with what however much funding they can possibly generate and you know why i feel like it's so crazy it's so crazy that you would i'm a hundred percent in support of this french rule if everyone that was unvaccinated died of like Every, everyone that was unvaccinated from COVID-19 died like they said they were going to. I'd be in total support of this. Yeah, I still wouldn't. If everyone, I see your point, everyone, but I still yeah, wouldn't. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, you you can, as a, as a free citizen in a Western society, you can choose to do things which are bad for your health. You can choose to smoke cigarettes. You can choose to drink alcohol. You can choose to drive cars. Sure. So I still think... But as, even... I, I don't mean I am absolutely anti any government intervention of anything, yeah. by the way. But the point... My point being, isn't it a bit rich to go and implement this here based off what we've just been through? Yeah. And like, there's, there's just going to, like, there's going to be no sentiment left that's going to be happy with that. Well, of, of course it is. And this, this is what sort of got me sent down the rabbit hole because what this reminded me of was a a presentation that was made back in October 2019 and it was about trying to so I had a whole bunch of leaders from the medical community being uh, interviewed uh, on stage and they were speaking about trying to create a universal flu vaccine Mm. and I was thinking about it because that's one of the first things that I really came across where you started to question Fauci's Involvement in all of the COVID hysteria and vaccines because I remember him saying something in the tune of... Like, they, they were literally talking about mRNA technology back then, but sort of mentioning how 
uh, they, you've already got all these existing technologies and we mainly, we've been very successful with the vaccines that we use for flu and growing them in eggs, but we need to go into this new technology and it would be difficult to get people to essentially swallow this, this new technology or that it will just take a long time. So I went looking for that clip and it sent me down a bit of a rabbit hole. So the first thing I want you to bring up is the tweet, which has got the video. I want you to play the video. This is a, um, a bit of a mashup of a few different speakers speaking at that event. Now, I do want to stress, do not read, read too much into the tweet because the tweet itself says, video emerges where Fauci and others are plotting for a new avian flu virus to enforce universal flu vaccination. Fauci admits that cl a clinical trials take at least a decade. Uh, that second bit is true in because I went back and I actually watched this whole presentation. It's an hour long. I'm not going to make you watch that. They were not plotting a new avian flu to get people to take uh, universal flu vaccines. But in this clip that, that is mashed up, looking at it in hindsight, certain bits of it do tell a very interesting story. So if you can just play this clip, it's a minute 50 long. The system up. I mean, obviously, we can't just turn off the spigot on the system we have and then say, hey, everyone in the world should get this new vaccine we haven't given to anyone yet. But there must be some way that we grow vaccines mostly in eggs the way we did in 1947. In order to make the transition from getting out of the tried and true uh, Milken Institute? Is it like Milken the teat of the uh, taxpayer? Uh, well, it appears that that's their primary goal. And it's funny that you say that because the vast majority of statements made during this entire presentation were in effect of, we need more money. So it's, yeah, it's literally as the joke that you just made. Yeah. Egg growing, which we know gives us results that can be you know, beneficial. I mean, we've done well with that to something that has to be much better. Uh, you have to prove that this works. And then you've got to go through all of the clinical trials, phase ones, phase twos, phase three, and then show that this particular product is going to be good over a period of years. That alone, if it works perfectly, is going to take a decade. There might be a need or even an urgent call for uh, an entity right. of excitement out there that's completely disruptive. Sorry, can you just pause it there, beholden to me. So I just want you to briefly focus on that point that Fauci said, and this is October 2019. So don't forget, COVID kicked off in December 2019, two months later. And he literally said at that time that to to get from phase one, phase two, phase three trials through to acceptance can take a decade. Uh, the time between having, a, having a, a brand new novel pathogen arrive into society, which was December 2019, to having a vaccine ready for deployment was January 2021. So that was one year for a process that he was stating would normally take a decade. Now. I want you to focus on this next gentleman. His name is Rick Bright. He, at this point in time, was the director of a thing called BADA, um, which is, if can you just scroll a bit, bit further forward just so I can see his exact title, especially for our listeners. So the... Um, uh, Something, bio, so biomedical HHS, advanced... Which is, 
Yeah, Biomedical Advanced Research and Development Authority for the, um, it's basically the National Healthcare Service in, in the United States. So he was the director of this, and I want you to listen very carefully to what he has to say. Or even an urgent call for uh, an entity of excitement out there that's completely disruptive, that's not beholden to bureaucratic strings and, and, and processes. So we really do have a problem of how the world perceives influenza, and it's going to be very difficult to change that unless you do it from within and say, I don't care what your perception is, we're going to address the problem in a disruptive way and in an iterative way, because you do need both. But it is not too crazy to think that an outbreak of an, a novel avian virus could occur in, in China somewhere. We could get the RNA sequence from that, beam it to a... I just want to listen to that part again. Yeah, listen to it again. Like, don't, don't cut him off, because you cut him off with nine seconds to go. Where we could get the RNA sequence from that, beam it to... But you do need both. But it is not too crazy to think that an outbreak of an, a novel avian virus could occur in, in China somewhere. We could get the RNA sequence from that, beam it to a number of regional centers, if not local, if not even in your home at some point, and print those vaccines on a patch and self-administer. So. Well, let me just talk about that China thing first. You go right ahead. Why was China the example? Oh, like it could just happen in China. Is that because they have the things in China? It was lined up ready to go in China as it happened in China? Uh, it very well could be that that was like a Freudian slip because I already knew that they had this thing ready to go. Or at the very least, that they were funding the research that was being done in China on coronaviruses at that time. Well, also, when was the when were the military games of 2019? I believe it was September or October 2019. Mm. So that got me thinking. I was like, we know a lot about Fauci. I don't know a lot about this Rick Bright dude. So I went sort of looking at, you know, him. And because it was interesting, that point that he made about essentially they're talking about mRNA technology and how you could quickly sequence it, send it all around the world, and then we could like basically print these vaccines out ourselves and self-administer. And there's already talks now of uh, having like nicotine patch-like vaccines available for people. Yeah, they'll but never it, let you print your own vaccine, by the way. No, of course they won't, because that's then they lose all the money. So if, yeah. you, you, if you can just go to the next story, the next resource I sent you, because I went on a bit of a deep dive about uh, Dr. Rick Bright. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. How do I close that? How do I close that? Uh, uh, is it uh, is it not letting you look at it? it hold on. Hold on. Hold on. No, it's not. Alright, if it's not going to let you look hold at on, it. Hold on, but I think... Uh, no, I can't. Sorry. That's alright. I will see if I can just reopen it from my end and read it out. Because I'm not uh, signing up to the times. Alright, it's, it's doing the same thing to me. But I'll just give you the headline. So it says, a, so this is from the New York Times. This was in 2020. A US scientist settled his federal whistleblowing complaint over COVID treatments. 
The scientist, Dr. Rick Bright, resigned last year after being demoted by the Trump administration, a step he called retaliation for his warnings about Mr. Trump's promotion of a drug unproven against COVID-19. Now, the key points to that story were that um, the drugs he was, he was speaking about was when Trump was talking about hydroxychloroquine. And Dr. Rick Bright came out and said, there is no evidence that hydroxychloroquine works against COVID at all, and that it was dangerous for Trump to be speaking about those things, and that he was stepping down in protest because of the politicization of science, so to speak. Um, can you bring up the next resource then, see, see if this one works? Because I'm, I'm trying to paint you a little bit of a picture here. Uh, we want Vada? Yeah. So remembering, at this point in time, the, the job that he stepped down from was from the head of BADA. So this article was from, obviously, just... So this is from the 21st of April, 2020. Now, a key thing that I want people to keep in mind about that date, I shared a story uh, on our Instagram page today, which was a reminder of the new stories that we were playing in Australia on Channel 9 in April, 2020, about how ivermectin looked like it might be a possible cure and was and from um it was doherty and monash in, uh, universities that were doing research into it and it showed that it could kill COVID cells in a test tube so that same month this uh story barter to give moderna up to 483 million dollars for COVID 19 vaccine development the U.S. Biomedical Advanced Research and Development Authority, or BARDA, will fund Moderna's COVID-19 vaccine candidate through Phase 2 and Phase 3 clinical trials to FDA licensure. Uh, zoom in slightly for me, please. So, biotech company... Oh, hey! You can, go out, you can go out a little bit if you want. Uh, biotech company Moderna has announced that the U.S. Biomedical... Uh, BARDA has agreed to donate up to $483 million. So remember, this is this is the taxpayer funds that we're talking about. And don't forget, too, that the mRNA technology itself came from taxpayer-funded research. So they've agreed to donate up to $483 million to the company to accelerate the development of its mRNA vaccine candidate. <clears throat> uh, if you can scroll down for me, please. We know what it is. Under the terms of the agreement, BARDA will fund the advancement of the vaccine uh, all the way through to its licensure by the FDA. Keeps going down. Uh, it's got phase one studies. Don't worry about that. Go, go to the next bit. Um, so depending on the safety data from the phase one study, the company will begin phase two, et cetera, et cetera. Well, it doesn't matter. It didn't matter. It didn't matter at all. Uh, BARDA funding will support these late stage clinical development programs as well as a scale up of the vaccine. Continue on. Um, no, next bit. I think it's a little bit further down. Oh, there we go. BARDA director Dr. Rick Bright also added that preparing now for advanced stage clinical trials and production scale up while the phase one is underway could shave months off development of COVID-19 vaccines. So, what, 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 am I, what am I trying to show you here? So this guy that was at this same meeting with Fauci just before the pandemic kicked off was doing a presentation about, and he spoke, he was the one who brought up mRNA technology the most times during that meeting. Um, so after doing that, not only has his department funded to the tune of $483 million Moderna's development of a novel mRNA vaccine, which has never been used before in history, which at that same meeting, 
Fauci said would take 10 years to get licensed and he was talking about off oh, if only you could have some sort of disruptive thing where you could get around you know the bureaucracy etc 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 in that same year he resigned because donald trump was promoting uh cheap hi- shit hydroxychloroquine cheap stuff off patent with a safety profile do you see where i'm going here can you bring up the next resource please So this is an article from Vanity Fair. In quotes, political connections and cronyism, end quote. In blistering whistleblower complaint, Rick Bright blasts Team Trump's pandemic response. Two weeks after being pushed out of his post, the former head of a $1.5 billion federal health agency formally accuses top officials of pressuring him to approve unproven chloroquine drugs and award pricey contracts to friends of the administration. Now, just consider that for a second. If his department's worth $1.5 billion, one third of that he gave to Moderna to fund the Moderna trials. Good deal. He was pressured to invest in drugs and vaccines that lacked scientific merit because the people selling them had friends in the Trump administration up to and including the president's son-in-law, Jared Kushner. He was forced to transfer funds to acquire drugs for the strategic national stockpile, America's most important reserve of life-saving medications, based not on health needs, but on, in quotes, political connections and cronyism, end quote. He was instructed to use his department's budget to purchase flu medications of questionable efficacy. And when the COVID-19 crisis erupted, he was pressured to approve a plan that would flood cities with unproven and untested doses of chloroquine drugs from uninspected manufacturing plants in Asia. When his- <laughs> this is such fucking bullshit. I know, right? <laughs> oh my god. Enjoy it, enjoy it. No, but it's interesting what they've... T- uh, okay, yeah, keep going, keep going. When his efforts to work through the system failed, he decided he had a, in quotes, moral obligation to the American public, end quote, to ring the alarm about the plan, which he believed constituted a substantial and specific danger to public health and safety. In retaliation, he was smeared with officials unfairly accusing him of dropping the ball on vaccine development and PPE uh, preparation. preparation. These are just some of the allegations contained in a blistering 63-page complaint that Dr. Rick Bright, former head of BARDA, filed today with the U.S. Office of Special Counsel. According to his lawyers, Bright will testify before Congress next week. Vanity Fair has submitted requests for comments to the White House and the FDA uh, and will update this article with any responses. In a statement, Department of Health and Human Services spokesperson Caitlin Oakley said Dr. Bright was transferred to the NIH to work on diagnostics testing, critical to combating COVID-19, where he has been entrusted to spend upwards of $1 billion to advance that effort. We are deeply disappointed that he has not shown up to work on behalf of the American people and lead on this critical endeavour. Uh, Bright has become the first high-level federal whistleblower to publicly allege that the Trump administration had, has responded to the COVID-19 crisis by unduly pressuring health officials and putting politics and profit ahead of science. Bright, the government's top coronavirus vaccine developer, had spent a decade at BARDA, a small but powerful agency within the Department of Health and Human Services, or the HHS, whose mandate is to partner with private companies to help accelerate the development of vaccines, drugs, and diagnostics. According to Bright's complaint, Barter manages almost $50 billion worth of contracts and acquisitions on an annual budget of just over $1.5 billion. He was named director in 2016. 
On April 22, after HHS reassigned him to a smaller role at the National Institutes of Health, Bright alleged in a fiery statement that he had been sidelined because he resisted efforts to fund potentially dangerous drugs promoted by those with political connections. One of the drugs Bright identified in his statement was the malaria medication hydroxychloroquine, which President Trump had promoted extensively as a game-changer. Bright said he had rightfully resisted efforts to provide an unproven drug on demand to the American public. His original statement prompted an immediate call for investigations. uh, Republican Frank Pallone Jr., chairman of the House Energy and Commerce Committee, asked the HHS Inspector General to probe Bright's departure. And Rep. Anna Eshoo announced that her subcommittee on health would hold congressional hearings. So we don't need to go too much further on this. Okay, this is genius. This is genius. And the reason why it's genius is because Vanity Fair has written a whole piece to obviously the, the, the left base accusing Trump of doing everything the medical establishment did. Yeah. It, that is the best way of describing it. It's exactly what I was going to say. The yeah, political... they uno-reversoed it. They uno-reversoed. That's right. The political play that the Democrats have been employing the most over the past five years, or it's even longer because it goes back all the way to the Hillary Clinton-Russian collusion hoax in two, the 2016 election, but it has essentially accused the other person of doing the things that you were doing yourself. Now, can we? I want to break it down a little bit. So we've got, okay, for a start, uh, pressure to invest in drugs and vaccines that lack scientific merit. Okay, first of all, warp speed was Trump. Yes. Okay, so if you believe that there are proven and unproven, and you believe the vaccine is proven and hydroxychloroquine is unproven, mm-hmm. if that's what you believe, which is what they they are intimating, either, this the base is people that believe that, mm-hmm. Trump was the one that introduced warp speed for the vaccine. That's right. Okay. That's... So, so technically, if that art, that article might be correct, because technically Trump doing warp speed, he would have been pressured to invest money in the development of unproven medications like the Moderna vaccine. Yeah. So technically, yeah. that statement is correct. But what um... it is indicating is that the pressure is to invest in uh, unproven medications like hydroxychloroquine. Now, as many people have stated over the the course of the pandemic. At the very least, we know that hydroxychloroquine has a safety profile. So a reasonable person at that time would have invested in trials of hydroxychloroquine against COVID-19 or ivermectin against COVID-19 because we already know that these drugs are safe and and effective for the indications that they are prescribed for already. We already know that. Whereas with these mRNA vaccines, it was a brand new technology that we didn't know either if it was going to be safe or effective. And yet, exactly like like what you're saying, what they are essentially doing is convincing the Democratic base that Trump is evil and is doing the wrong thing because he is forcing people to promote unproven medications like hydroxychloroquine because his mates have a financial interest in profiteering out of that. Let me say it in a different way. Let me say it in a different way. Cool. The, 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 the way I perceive it is they are telling their base, you are hearing all these things about dodgy medical deals being done on unproven technologies. Yeah. And it's Trump and hydroxychloroquine. Yeah, that's a good point. That's so they're hijacked. The, so the real story is, which is what we've been speaking about the whole time, 
it's exactly what they're saying, but it's about the the the, the mRNA shots, right? Yeah, or, yeah. Or all the COVID vaccines, right? So they're they're playing on that motif. That motif is out there. Everyone's talking about it. Yeah. Vanity Fair is flipping. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We totally, yeah, absolutely. Everything you're saying is right. It is Trump and Hydroxychloroquine who play. He paid his mates to do all that stuff. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, I get they're, that. Because we can all smell. We can all smell the smoke. We're just telling you that the fire isn't where you think it is. It, bingo, bingo, yeah. bingo. Yeah, that's interesting. That's, dude. That is wild. Mm. That is wild. And look, look at. Like the best thing about all of those clips and all those stories are all from the past. Now we can look back in hindsight and go, what actually happened? And, you know, at the very least, the the vaccines. And one thing that was interesting that um, Rebecca Barnett continuously posts on just to remind people of, in Australia, these vaccines were only approved based on them stopping the symptomatic infection of SARS-CoV-2. Yeah. That's what they were approved for. They never did that, ever. So at that point in time, they should have been removed from the market when they didn't do the thing that they were approved to do. Mm. At the very least, they should have been removed from the market. Now, the issue that you've then got is the National Institutes of Health in America have made a $483 million investment in Moderna in a profit-sharing deal. And as we covered on the show probably 12 months ago, Moderna had to pay them their first set of royalties about a year ago, which is a $500 million payment with more royalties to come. Now... Here's the big key thing that I want people to realize and take on board. I, I have been saying since probably at least mid-2021 that I think this entire pandemic was a money play. The reason being that th- the vast majority of patent and medications were due to come off patent in 2025 and the pandemic was a way of ushering in mRNA technology so that all of us would just accept it. And then you've got a brand new technology which you can patent for the next 20 years to secure mm-hmm. those profits for the pharmaceutical companies. When you go back and you listen to that clip that we played, and I, I do encourage you to go back and, and listen to the whole thing, you'll be able to find it by searching um, Fauci speech on universal flu vaccine, October 2019. You'll be able to find the whole clip. And they do continually mention mRNA technology and how flexible it is. So a lot of us on the base level of the red pill community are like, it was a money play. They did it to make all these hundreds of billions of dollars out of COVID vaccines. Look how well they've done. That's not it. This entire thing was about the general public accepting mRNA technology into their lives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the amount of branding exercise. That's right. So the amount of money that they have made out of COVID-19 mRNA-based vaccines will be an absolute chump change compared to the amount of money they stand to make out of mRNA everything vaccines, Mm. which is what's coming. It's absolutely what's coming. Even though we already know that they have not proven to be effective at the thing that they were approved to do in the first place. And there was a massive safety signal whether the governments want to admit it or not. And yet we are now going full steam ahead into mRNAsville. Uh, yeah, and, and I would say that there's certain politicians that have been speaking about it. You know, I've got to give props to Malcolm Roberts. Mm-hmm. He he was big. He was, he was saying, follow the money, follow the money, okay, patents yep. coming off, right? If this is a platform, this is technology. And 
keep an ear out on the TV when you hear um, more of this mRNA stuff. Yeah. Like Absolutely. you're going to hear a lot more of it. Yeah. And again, I just want like, if it probably won't be up obviously by the time this comes out, but for any of those who, who saw it, I literally posted that clip on our stories on Instagram where in April, 2020, two of our universities, which were the two that were the most heavily influenced during the pandemic, telling us to do the lockdowns and the vaccines and etc. But those two universities, Doherty Institute and Monash University, were the ones that were saying that in April 2020, ivermectin was looking promising as a treatment for COVID. Yeah, it was on Channel 7. Like, the news was saying, hey, they, like, they reported on it. They're like, yeah. look how good this thing is. It, it like, literally nullifies the uh, the COVID vaccine in situ. Yeah. Like, um, this is a great thing. And then, boom, stop. Nah, none of that. Not talking about that. The, the clip that I posted, it shows you the moment that the media turned on that medication in, I think it was September that year. Mm-hmm. And it's and basically it went from April 2020, this is looking promising. September 2020, um, you know, this is a, like radical fringe idea from anti-vaxxers uh, horse medication. Like it was, I don't know if it was 2020 or 2021, but it was like September, one of those years, it may have been 21, when they were trying to push the vaccines on everyone, that the media went straight to bat to demonize it. So... Now, uh, let me caveat. I'm going to. I'm going to caveat. I'm going to transition. Yep. Right. Congratulations. Other aspects of this talk about taxpayer money, massive amounts of money, being piled into private companies for then these private companies to go and, or sorry, public companies, but private in that, you know, what I'm trying to say like they can public profit- private partnerships where they can go make a stack of money, okay? That should trouble you. So when they yeah. when they say on the news, oh, we need to up taxes so that we can pay for social housing and all that stuff, yeah. they've got the money, but they're giving it to their mates, just like what they're saying here that Trump's doing. Yeah, That system was already built. That's right. The $1.5 billion already existed. Yep. It's the same deal. Let me give you a good example in Australia at the moment. Any of you who have an energy bill, the next time you get an energy bill, read the bill. Because at the moment, it's particularly in Queensland, I'm not sure if it's happening in the rest of the country, I'm sure it is, but there is an energy bill rebate that the Queensland government is paying on every single person's energy bill. So the way they marketed it was, we are doing our best to lower energy prices for Queenslanders. They are not lowering energy prices at all. They are taking your tax dollars and giving it to the energy companies at the higher price. There is absolutely zero market pressure on these energy companies to lower prices because we can all keep afford to pay the higher price because we, the regular person, we don't feel it coming out of our bank account. It's just coming out of our tax dollars on the other end of it. So this is what tips me into the next subject, right? Which is crypto. Let's go. Now... The price of of Bitcoin right now is fifty two. Oh, this is US fifty two thousand three hundred seventy six dollars right wow. now. Now, okay. when this comes out on Monday, it could be different. So that's eighty thousand. So yeah, sorry, four hundred Australian dollars. Yeah, right. We are so close. The peak, the all time high Bitcoin's ever all time high was $84,000. I just want to remind the listeners too that it was roughly 14 months ago when Bitcoin was down at like 20,000 that we suggested it might be a good idea to buy in. 
like not as financial advice we just thought oh like you know it's a we we thought it was good value at that point in time so if you're listening to the show back then i hope you maybe hey took some non-financial advice on it i've done very well yeah i've done very well i'm going okay too now i do the, the the screen i've pulled up is the bitcoin fear and greed scale because i had a lot of people reach out like this is, this is what always happens 100% of the time mm. is that people only get activated in this space when it's hot. Yeah. And I bought the fear and greed scale. And it is that uh, 72 out of 100, which is greed. Now, it's not the peak greed. It's, it has been higher. The, the highest ever recording of this index is 84. Yep. But we are close now. What does that mean? That means I ain't buying Bitcoin. That's no. what that means for sure. I am not buying Bitcoin. It is way, 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 way too hot for me right now. But I also want to say, anyone like what you just said, right? We talked about this at twenty grand. No one gave a fuck. Yeah. Now people are ringing me, and I had someone very close to you, you and I, Jason, very close who I'm managing some of his for him. Mm-hmm. And he's about to get out because he bought at the peak, 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 peak. He, he bought when Koshi and the cash cow told him to. Yeah. He owns it at like 80,100, 80,200 or something. Right. He's just about to get out. Then he texts me and goes, hey, I wouldn't mind a bit of a profit. And I was like, well, you should have bought. Now, I offered it to him at $16,000 yeah. because he got wrecked, right? So he bought at the top and went all the way down. So I'm, I'm ringing him. I'm like, hey, dude, if you've got any more, go now. Nah, right. nah, nah, it's shit. It's shit. But like, let's say uh, round figures, let's say it was uh, he, he got in at 20 grand mm-hmm. and I my biggest position was in the 20s. Yep. Um, I said, if you would have given me another 3,000 bucks, you'd have $9,000 now. And instead, you've only got your three. Yeah. And, but he's like, oh yeah, but I just didn't think back then. I'm like, I know you did. That's right. That's it's like, it's human nature. It's a, it's a perception of value issue. I'll, I'll tell a, just a very brief little story. Uh, back in the day, I used to study in Surface Paradise and there was a massage college that was nearby. And every year when the students were getting close to their exams, they would set up like in Cavill Avenue, a little stall to give out free massages just to try to get their, like get some practice in. And they'd put a sign out the front saying free 30 minute or 15 minute massage. And for the most part, they struggled to get people to agree to, to do these massages. So they were just standing there all day. So then they put 30 minute massage, $10 on a sign. And all of a sudden they had a line going down the street (laughs) because it's that perception of value people thought oh that's free that's going to be shit maybe they're weirdos maybe it's not legitimate i'm not interested but then you made the price more expensive all of a sudden that service you perceived value in it and bitcoin's doing the exact same thing but it's a natural it's even it's even it's fomo isn't it it's fear it's of missing FOMO, out. It's FOMO now. Mm. But what what I think the big thing is, and I, I actually want to, I, I had a very frustrating conversation with someone in the gym yesterday about this. Because she she made some kind of little sideways comments about how it's all bullshit. And I'm like, okay, well, let's talk about it. So yeah. let's, 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 and she goes, well, mind you, I've got a finance degree. And I'm like, perfect. Yeah. Perfect. 
And one of the things she said, which she's like, what's the return? What's the return on Bitcoin? What's the return on it? And I'm like, but let's not start there. For a start, there is no return on it. That's right. Unless you're buying it, selling it, buying it, selling it. But that's not like, and it took me ages for her to overcome that thing. She goes, well, like shares have a return. They have a return. I'm like, yeah, but your house that you buy, that you live in has no return, right? It has growth in value if you were to uh, to sell. It's got but capital no one growth. Says, but no, one's, no one buys it to generate. Like, you, unless you're renting a room out of it for more than what your mortgage and all your costs are involved, there is no return on investment. There's no return. So right. I'm like, for a start, move. Like, let's not start there. Yeah. The conversation needs to start comparing Bitcoin versus the underlying asset which you are using to buy Bitcoin, which is money. Yeah. And I said, would do you agree that def, um, uh, uh, inflation? is a inbuilt function to devalue the dollar. And she goes, oh, oh yeah, but it's under fixed things. And like, okay, but yes or no? Hmm. Is the, the dollar that you have today worth less than it is tomorrow? Sorry, it's worth less tomorrow than it is today. Yeah. Well, yeah, but it's on a basket of blah, blah, blah. Okay, yeah, yeah, but let's, 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 stick, to the, let's stick to the core of the argument. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying is, there's a thing with a fixed supply, which is Bitcoin, 21 million. Mm-hmm. Same as what land, I guess. Land is a fixed supply of, yeah. of, of a thing. And the people in charge of the underlying asset being cash can print as much as they want. Yep. It, and I'm like, is that correct? She goes, oh yeah, yeah but it's, it's under strict rules. I'm like, okay, what's like, but if 2% is what's built into the system, we haven't been at 2% for it's, three years. Alex, it's not printing, mate. It's electronic journal entries. They're well, okay. Completely different. She went there. She went there <laughs> because I said, because I said, so I said, are you, do you get upset that your $1 deposit that you put in the bank can get loaned out multiple times and the bank gets, the bank gives you one portion of the interest and they get to keep 99 times of it? Yeah. Oh no no no! Like I said, they the banks print money. She goes, they don't print money. They don't print money. I'm like, no, they don't physically print it, but it's made. And she goes, no, it's not. And I said, okay, so if if someone goes and writes a mortgage tomorrow, are they using deposit holders' money to to, to uh, make that mortgage? Oh no. Okay, and if that person then cashed out that and had the the cash left, has that money been printed? No answer. Mm. Of course, there's no answer. And you're right; it is a di- digital journal entry. Yeah. But it's the same fucking concept, right? A printed dollar is the same as a digital dollar. And yeah. the fact that you can just print it, print it or, digital, or control C, control V over and over and over again, that is the problem. So where I wanted her to focus on, which I don't think she got, right? One of the other guys was, one of the young guys was witnessing this whole thing. He goes, no, I think she got it. I don't think she got it. <laughs> but hey, is he single? Because the defense, <laughs> because the, her, her, her defense was like, your thing can't be as good as the thing that we've got all these rules and things applied to it. It's not but as good for the people the who previous, control that system. Yeah, but we've just shown in the previous thing, unelected bureaucrats get billions of dollars yeah. to gift to their mates. Yeah. That's built in, the, and we can't do shit about that. Perfect example, just to remind people or any new viewers, uh, in 2021, to help stimulate the economy, the Reserve Bank of Australia lent $180 billion to the retail banks of Australia at a fixed interest rate of 0.1% for them to lend out. So that money was all lent to you, costing the bank 0.1%. And then every single time the RBA put rates up, that just built margin into that money. 
that was gifted to them by the RBA. That's yeah, exactly what I was just talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So the whole the whole Bitcoin ethos, Bitcoin, and, and this is where another argument she got into. So I said Bitcoin was born after the global financial crisis. And she goes, oh, yeah, but do you even know how that works? Uh, like, what caused that? I'm like, yeah, I do. And she and she went deep on the mortgage-backed security because she's watched the movie The Big Short. Yep. Okay. And I'm like, I'm like that is one function of the problem, mm-hmm. but the main problem is that people who have no vested interest in helping you are in control of all of it. That's right. That's the and that that part she could because that's not in the textbook. That's not written in any textbook anywhere. Yeah, that's right. I, so and she was like, okay, well then, what is Bitcoin? And I said, Bitcoin is a way that you and I can transact in real time value via a network that is devoid of any control. No third parties are involved. It's mm-hmm. just you and it's just me. Now the concept to her is completely like it. That did nothing for her. And I want to. I want to. Uh, when I on reflection, I did not handle myself the way that I should have. I, If I was to do it again, if I was to have this discussion again, and I will have this discussion, I love these arguments, I would preface the whole conversation with saying, let's get a baseline of understanding on the financial system first. Yeah, that, that's where you need to start with that conversation. Start on the base. Yeah, you yeah. don't ask what is Bitcoin first, I'll melt your fucking brain. You should have started out by saying, are we, is this a talk show interview or are we going to have a serious conversation? <laughs> and then proceeded to deliver a 30 minute In long... 900 AD. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But like, but I even, that even came up. I was like, when, when the, when the system was gold backed, the, uh, someone, if you, you, you could still get a mortgage in 19, in 1969, you get a mortgage. Mm. You can go to get back, get a mortgage. But the mortgage was made up with deposits. That's right. Right? And that's because the money was real. So every dollar in circulation was represented by a dollar's worth of gold sitting at the bank. Yep. Okay? It's a promissory note. And she's like, oh, yeah, 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 but it's backed by other things. And I'm like, yeah, but what? The US military, and that's about it. Um, yeah. The other thing too that that and and again, I don't think we don't need to go too far down this road anymore because anyone who's still sticking around at this point for Crypto Corner is probably already a believer at least in Bitcoin. They want to hear some new information about some potential altcoins. But I would just say that the other thing, because Bitcoin is often described as digital gold by people, because in a very high inflationary environment like we're experiencing at the moment, a lot of people hedge against inflation by buying things like gold. However, gold's still being pulled out of the ground. So the fact that there is gold miners in the world means, technically, Bitcoin is still a far more secure asset to invest in than gold because there will never be more than 21 million Bitcoin. Yeah, correct. It's written into it. Do you know it's even even crazy? The gold thing you said is even crazier when you realize, and, and uh, I think a company just raised like a billion dollars because they're going to be doing space mining. Yeah, well, there There's, you go unlimited gold yeah don't forget there is one asteroid one asteroid out there we know about it that would make the entire global economy redundant overnight everything in this room would be made of platinum yeah which is one of the interesting points that uh elon musk made recently when um it's not even that recent but someone was talking to him about how you know we we've got to be scared because resources are getting more and more scarce and, you know, we're going to run out of water, we're going to run out of oil, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And he said, for, for one, on the one hand, I don't believe that at all. 
there is heaps of water. Seventy percent of the world is is made out of is water. Um, desalination is extremely uh, cheap to do now. Um, in regards to oil, I also don't think we've got to run out of oil. But the other thing that you need to keep in mind is that with the progress in technology, like oil had literally zero value until about two three hundred years ago. Now, all of a sudden, oil has lots of value. And then when the next set of technologies come through that no longer require oil, what do you think is going to happen to the price of oil? It's going yeah. to drop down. So we will never get to a point where we will run out of resources. We will just evolve which resources have value Correct. at which particular point of time in history. And if we start mining asteroids for gold, well, the gold price ain't going to be shit. But you can't mine an asteroid for Bitcoin. There ain't no more Bitcoin up there on the asteroids. Correct. Correct, correct. Anyway, so, so what have you found out for the listeners for Crypto Corner? Okay. Well, I, I, I want to be directed by you because I've got there, I've got two competing yet inline ideas in my head, okay. right? Yep. One is the altcoin thing, mm-hmm. but then two, I wanted to talk about my protocol, which I'm probably going to turn into an altcoin. Okay. So where do you think I should start? Because I can't... Okay, look, I, what I want you to start with, for, for this week's episode, I don't want to get too much into the weeds on either your project or a separate altcoin. What I want to do this week is I want you to explain to people how the previous Bitcoin cycles have worked and why potentially researching which altcoins to have a bet on, because it is going to be a bet at the end of the day, can be a good idea leading into the 2025 run. Okay. So Bitcoin's the king. It's the Godzilla. It's the it's the original gangster. Um, but what has stemmed from that Just idea... Just zoom in slightly, sorry, mate. What has stemmed from that idea is many, many, many thousands of different iterations of what we call altcoins or alternative coins. Yeah. Okay. Some of them have different utility. Some of them are made for, for fun. Some of them are literally just pump and dumps. But where, where there is some money to be made in this space is that for Bitcoin to move up 1%, it needs to have uh, $100 million put into it. Right. Okay? Which is hard. To move, a, 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 and that's because it's got a market cap of one trillion dollars. Yeah, right. If you so just oh just no, to ex- wrong, sorry, I was just going to say just to explain that to people. Like that means that there's enough people in the world who believe in Bitcoin that people have invested a trillion dollars in it. Yeah, there's so, a trillion bucks in there tied up in that. Yeah. So for anyone who is relatively new to this sort of space and has just heard the mainstream media talk about how it's just hocus pocus Ponzi schemes, and a lot of them are. Uh, there's a trillion dollars worth of money in uh, Bitcoin at this point in time. What, what I would argue to that is your current tax system is more of a Ponzi scheme. It's literally a Ponzi totally because yeah, yeah. Yeah, er, people who are early and move their money into assets early get rewarded and people that come to the game late, i.e. your kids, are getting fucked by it. That's right. Have they, to work more than earn less. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so just know that. You're in a Ponzi. Okay. Now, people have created all sorts of different... Um, uh, systems better. The one big one, the next one that came after Bitcoin that was big was Ethereum. And what is special about Ethereum is that it was the first blockchain that enabled you to build a business on it and use Ethereum as the native token within. Okay, so if you wanted to start an online market store, 
-hmm. Bitcoin is a payment method, but it's nothing more than a payment method. Whereas, whereas uh, Ethereum, you could build the whole game or, or or the whole marketplace could be built in the Ethereum platform. Okay, yeah. so that I mean that's got three hundred and forty uh, billion dollars invested in that one. Then the next one uh, is a stablecoin. I won't get into the weeds of that, but there's there's a hundred billion there, and so on. But if you scroll down and down and down and down and down, and have, we we'll do it on market cap, right? We'll sort by market cap. Mm-hmm. If we scroll down and down and down and get to the small ones, the small, we keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. We're up to like number, let's go to number, we'll just pick number 100, whatever is number 100. Mm-hmm. Number 100 is, oh, this is funny. <laughs> okay, I did not plan this at all. I didn't plan this at all. Axelar is number 100 at my market cap. I bought Axelar this week. <laughs> wow, okay, okay. So let's just use this as an example. So this has got a $718 million market cap. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm on a website called Coin Market Cap. It's been a great resource for just researching these coins. Yeah. Okay. Now, I don't know if you... Can you read that? Can you read what's on here? Okay. So this on the left-hand side, this is the kind of stuff that I look at when I'm looking at these coins. I, I want to know about it. So it's up 4% for the day. Um, it's got $10 million has been transacted in the last 24 hours. Uh, okay, here's the important stuff. Okay. When, what these altcoins often are is someone goes and mints, which means create out of thin air, a token. Then you go to the market and say, hey, if you buy this token, it's going to enable X, Y, Z. If you think as a Kryptonian, if you think this is something that I think is viable, you would buy that token. If it has a utility, you'd use it for that utility. Or if you're just wanting to play on the price of it, you'd wait for the time to sell. Okay, does that make sense? Yeah, so essentially what you're saying is that the the token gets created because it... Uh, has a protocol which may be beneficial in the future. So mm-hmm. you are essentially not betting on the uh, the price of the token where it's at. You're betting on the wide-scale adoption of that uh, that technology, which might solve a particular problem in, in the marketplace. Yep. And you're hoping that if you buy it now and it becomes more widely accepted, more people will buy in, therefore increasing the price uh, of the token. Now, when I said when you can mint it out of thin air, that catches a lot of people off yeah but what i want to say in real world terms if you have uh if you are involved in an initial purchase offer of a company on the share market those shares are arbitrarily at the beginning pulled out of thin air of course so you might have a company and say i'm going to issue one million shares of blah yep and we're going to list it at whatever the market says okay so what this is, what an initial coin offering is, or what what an, what an altcoin often is, at least at the start, is raising a bunch of capital. Then hopefully that capital is invested into the protocol to make the protocol better. And when the protocol's better, you now have a piece. One of those tokens is a piece or a share of that protocol. Yeah. Okay. So some things that I look at. So the circulating supply of these AXL. So Axelar is the company name. AXL is the ticker. Mm-hmm. 
568 million uh, uh, tokens circulating, which means that they have been sold. And then 1.13 billion is the total supply, which tells me that the people who created that thing have half the tokens to themselves. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yep. 1.1 is what is total. F- call it 550 is what's been what's sold. Been circulated, yep. So they're, they're holding around. the other half, yep. Yeah, now what's a dollar twenty six times 1.1 1. 1, uh, million? No, six, uh, 500 million. It's so there's like what well, six hundred million dollars. Yeah, they've got six hundred million bucks in in the in the back pocket. Yep. Okay, so that's pretty cool. Now, now um, this also has information of like uh, what their Ethereum address is because everything on the blockchain is publicly available, so you can see where the money's flowing. Yep, um, it's got a converter there. And now on this main page, it's got it's got the the graph of, of what the market is doing. You can actually play with that graph too to to give you more information. Yep. A lot of people try to read shapes into graphs to uh, predict when is a good time to buy and when is a good time to sell. Yeah, um, yeah. Technical analysis is is a tried and true thing. Yeah. Now now here the Axelar markets. So not all coins are available in all places, mm-hmm. but this will just give you a list. So. Bybit, which is a large exchange, that's that's done $1.8 million worth of sales in the last 24 hours. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, all the big guys are on there. I want to draw some specific attention to ones like this one here. So Uniswap and PancakeSwap, these are what's called decentralized exchanges, which means there's no team involved in reviewing any of these things. So if you're going to buy on a decentralized exchange, you have to be more careful because... Basically, a decentralized exchange. Imagine a swap meet. Imagine a swap meet where, or a car boot sale. Someone rocks up, opens the boot of their car, and says, "Do you want to buy this?" No one's done any due diligence. They don't know who this person is. You don't know anything about it. You've just got to make. Okay, yeah, I think I'll, I want to buy that thing. Yep. Okay, so, so that is really is if there is a seller and the seller can find a buyer, these decentralized exchanges facilitate that transaction. Yeah. Okay. Um, One thing I want to say on this too. Uh, with just like most investing, but crypto even more so, the responsibility lies on you. There is no one you can call if things don't go your way. So it is on you to be a mature adult, research these things, only invest money that you can afford to lose if you are going to have a play on one of these altcoins in particular. But at the end of the day, the the whole point, as Alex keeps saying uh all the time the whole point of crypto really is for us at some point in time to be able to transact outside of the existing financial system which is set up in a way which benefits a few and and we all are forced to play in that system that's the real point of it so if you don't like a lot of the things that we talk about on this podcast like government overreach like pharmaceutical industry profiteering like um you know literally uh central bank digital currencies which will control every single cent that you that you spend like you should invest some time in research into the crypto community and try to use it to make it a more mainstream thing to do well that that gives me a nice little caveat so okay so there's two things i'm working on one is i'm gonna have so i've had a whole stack of people reach out to me and say hey look i'm like the market's hot right now. I want in. I've got no fucking idea. I don't know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, look, 
I've been so drilled in and focused on my crypto protocol that I haven't put a lot of uh, 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 mind space into it. But I also know I've met two people in the last month that have made millions and millions of dollars on altcoins. Literally yeah. just buy now, it's gone up a thousand X, 10,000 X and sold and life-changing stuff. That's right. So I'm like, I'm stupid to not at least try. So what a bunch of people said, well, can I just give you some money? and you do it and i'm like yeah okay but i'm going to put some rules around it mm-hmm. right um i haven't defined all of the rules yet i've got a little team set up of 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 uh, uh i'm going to put in i'm going to put in quotes experts because there are no fucking crypto experts yeah that's right okay they don't exist they don't exist um and we we're building a strategy which is going to which is going to be something along the lines of let's pull a bunch of capital together and we'll buy a basket of uh, of altcoins and ride it to a particular point, sell it when we need to sell it. And at the end of that, we'll just distribute it to uh, equally uh, uh, across whoever participated in it. Yeah. But, uh, but where our strategy comes in is, is we've said, okay, What's go- what you really need to predict is what is going to be the next hot topic in the next bull run, okay? So mm. NFTs was the last one. Yep. So NFTs were huge. People were selling fucking monkey pictures for $50 million, yeah. which and, they paid 300 bucks for. And the disappointing thing too for me about NFTs is the last NFT run, yes, a lot of people got rich out of it and that's great. The issue is that it completely missed the point of the power of the NFT technology totally. as a tool. And I think of a lot of people who were left holding the bag at the end of it are now like, well, NFTs are shit because I lost money. Totally. And it's like, no, yeah. like what we're talking about is what, like what should have happened in the NFT boom is if you're a musical artist, you sell your music as an NFT. So no, album art or album, Not art. the music. I reckon you sell the album art. Like, so when you bought a CD, Back in the day, yep. you got the lyrics and the album art. Yeah, you don't get that with the digital experience anymore. That's right. So I think go get the music wherever you want, but if you want to support the artist, buy the album art. Yeah. Now, if you had some garage band and you were selling these NFT album art and you had a fixed supply of them, so only two hundred got released on day one. Yep. Um, and then in the future, when you're the next Red Hot Chili Peppers yep. or the next Taylor Swift, you're the biggest thing in, since sliced bread these the original first press or first mint of the uh, album art is going to be worth rocket amounts yeah the beauty of the nft sale is every time they get sold a percentage is programmed in to go back to the creator the original creator that's right unlike normal collectibles exactly yeah so okay so there is a beautiful function and no one's done and i agree with you a lot of bullshit goes through first and unfortunately nfts in particular really hurt prior to that um DeFi, decentralized finance, which we just spoke about. That was the big one in 2017. Anything, any play DeFi. We have some inklings of what we think um, the next bull run's going to be. And we think it's going to be something in AI. So a lot of AI protocols, coins have, have um, started. Yep. So we're going we're gonna to do some research around what AI plays. Uh, we think warrants some investment. Mm-hmm. Um, social fine so so social finance is is a is an emerging market where it's it's basically going to microtransact 
for engagement on social media posts. So effectively paying people to spread and share, it's a more effective way to market. Yep. Right? Less algorithm driven and more like uh, a more organic direct to consumer approach. Yeah, more like a, a more of a marketplace driven rather than an yeah. algorithm. Yeah, yeah. And the other, the, probably the other big one is GameFi. So there's, ga- gaming has been built into crypto for a long time. Um, but the beauty is having, like for example, so you're, you, you're a Diablo player, right? Mm-hmm. You're effectively in GameFi right now because of the, um, the unique items that you get. There's a marketplace for those, isn't there? Absolutely, yeah. Now, there's no hard and fast way to do it. So some people like Steam Marketplace will pay you in money. The marketplace is pretty ordinary. But what if there was a game that you could play that you could grind your character up and then sell your character to someone else that's lazy and doesn't want to want to do it? Mm-hmm. And there was an easy function to do that. A lot of games have been built in that space. Yeah. But now they're doing full-blown 100 200 million dollar game productions all based in the crypto ecosphere. Yeah, that's right. So there's going to be so we're going to look at GameFi, SocialFi, AI plays, yep. um, and, and then that's what got me to my next thing, which I am going to talk about. Oh, any questions about that? No, no. I think that I think that all makes a lot of sense. And what I would suggest anyone who is interested in uh, learning a bit more about what Alex just said, reach out to him directly as well. Mm. Um, and. I would just say to absolutely everyone, I want to reiterate, be a mature adult, do your own research. Don't just try to get someone else to do this for you. Like be time to put your big boy pants on and get to start. Well, I want to take the Dave Portnoy approach to this. He just got done because he bought stocks that went to the moon and he was talking about it. Yeah. And then, and then these people were basically sued him for financial advice. Mm. Use your fucking brain, dude. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Use your brain. You, Jason just said it. You're only going to bet with what you're willing to lose, right? Investing is risk over time, right? That's the definition of of investing. Risk over time. If you're not willing to risk it, don't risk it. Yep. Okay? But use your own fucking brain. I'm not your dad, right? If it doesn't make sense to you, either research it until it does or just don't do it. Like, it's that simple. Yeah. Totally, totally, totally. Cool. All right, so go go to your next thing because then we have to wrap up. Right, so I haven't shown you guys my protocol now i'm still not (laughs) because i've had a bit i've had a bit of not not a hiccup it's interesting i've come full circle okay i've been trying to raise funding and i've met with a bunch of rich guys i did get to meet with a billionaire that and that was a super interesting conversation right but i'm not i haven't got any investment now i have beliefs of why like everyone liked the product yeah. None of them bag the product. But they have options. So if you're a, if you're a rich guy, you've got so many options in Australia to make money, you can't lose it. Like you if you if you had 5 million bucks or 10 million bucks on the market, you're set for life. Yeah. There's nothing you can do to fuck that up. That's right. Okay? So I've started to learn like unless you really titillate these people in a way that that gets them gets them going. I'm not going to get the money there. Yeah. But then I was sat, sat back and thought, I think I'm doing it the wrong way. I've created a crypto play to connect users 
to play a game and and transact in Bitcoin peer-to-peer, yep. okay? So why the fuck am I trying to do the traditional way to raise money for it? Yeah, find a rich old guy, school centralized funding model. Sell 50% of your business to this guy that's done nothing except provide you uh, with liquidity. And when and then I do all the work, ramp it up, sell it, and he gets a fat stack. Yeah. Right. Whereas the whole crypto ethos is decentralized and have community participation into the protocol. Yep. So I'm gonna do a coin sale. Mm-hmm. The coin sale that I'm that I, I now I'm still in concept phase in my head, right? So I have not got it fleshed out. I've got a meeting booked on Monday, we're gonna do a big think tank thing, and I should have something. Um, coming up mm-hmm. um, now this is you can't do this in Australia so this is done in Costa Rica yeah. okay just so people know it's done in Costa Rica Costa Rica loves that stuff right it's just this twists Aussie's head because we have this Stockholm syndrome of being um, super hyper regulated yeah overly regulated right? absolutely okay so I'm going to do a coin sale and the coin sale I'm going to give people the ability to give me as much or as little as they want so that we can build out the best version of the thing that we've got. Yep. And in reward to it, I'm going to pay the profit back to those token holders. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful, beautiful system, the, the, the way I've got it thought out. And it's effectively an initial purchase offering, but private treaty. Yeah connecting crypto wallets to people and I'll, it'll be fully automated right it's yep. beautiful it's beautiful which so when i went through that list of things that on coin market cap i'm hoping that in the not too distant future i'm going to have a coin listed there to help see the best version of my protocol make it to market yeah yeah and everyone gets to enjoy the ride that's right Everyone so has a vested interest in the in success of the product. Yeah, you've got 10,000 bucks in it. You've got 100,000 bucks in it. Whatever you've got in it, you will receive that portion that you have as a as a Bitcoin paid reward. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. And we could all share it. Instead of me just selling to a rich guy, the rich guy makes the money. He's rich. He was already rich. Yep. Like, it's, it's beautiful and it's coming. Cool. All right. Stay tuned for that, everyone. I hope you stuck around until this point because that's probably one of the more interesting parts of the crypto conversation. <laughs> yeah. And anything else to add before we finish no. up? All right, cool, guys. On that note, thank you very much for joining us. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye.